Good evening, everybody. My name's Ashley Brown. Welcome to our Hawks Insiders Thursday night safe space, or as we're calling it, the extra safe space tonight. Actually doing this as a co-production with our great friends from the Hawk Talk pod. So I'm actually going to straight away introduce Nick Mason to the spaces. Nick, good evening. Good to be here, everyone. Um, Heard any good yarns lately? (laughs) Let's just, yeah, let's go. We're here to talk uh, Box Hill's uh, player that didn't play uh, too many games this year. No, we've got a bit to get through tonight. We're uh, parking all list management and trade and uh, even AFLW talk to the side tonight. We're going to uh, look at the big story, obviously, that's broken about the Hawks tonight. Before I introduce the rest of our panellists, um, we've got a few ground rules tonight that we want to make pretty clear before we get started. It's, uh, it's an emotional topic we're going to delve into tonight and we do need to be a little bit careful so first thing is we're not naming any players tonight you may think we all have our ideas as to who the players concerned might be there are theories there are some educated guesses um some pretty close to the mark but we're leaving that out tonight so uh we're not here we don't want to learn identity players we want to play it really straight and not get ourselves into any sort of trouble given that this will later be a podcast and the laws of uh defamation, libel, what have you come into play. So uh, please, if you uh, if you do name a player, you'll be uh, cut off straight away. Um, based on the article we ran on Hawks Insiders today, is fairly, as I said, fairly emotional topic. A lot of people disagree straight away with the, uh, with the tone or the tenor of our article, which is perfectly fine. But we're very happy to debate that article and all aspects of this uh, story tonight, but keep it clean, keep it nice, don't make it personal. We want no profanities, um, but we are actually open up to make this as wide ranging a conversation as we possibly can. Um, but let's just uh, all play nice. Remember that at the end of the day, we all come from the same, well, I don't think the clubs are using the term family club at the moment, but the supporters are a family and we, uh, we're all from the same family. So let's, uh, Let's make it a vigorous, interesting discussion rather than making it nasty, get into name-calling. And if you strongly disagree with what we said in the article today, we will we will hear from you. And uh, please make yourself known and we'd love to hear your counter views. So with that, I will introduce our co-hosts. So they're all on board with apologies from Danny Prince, who is uh, sunning himself in Fiji as we speak and uh, won't be joining us. But... Uh, He'll be back next week with us as we uh, delve into the off-season. But firstly, Andrew Weiss, hello. G'day, Ash. G'day, everyone. Um, yeah, the man quite. whose WhatsApp at uh, 6 o'clock or quarter past 6 yesterday alerted me to uh, alerted me to the story. Yeah, look, it's. Um, oh, I think I was pretty taken aback initially, as most of the people in this space would have been when first, first finding out about it. And there are just so many different aspects and things to unpack from it so glad that we can all be in here tonight to chat about it and also very much glad that Nick and and hopefully Tiz are able to come in so that we can share this space with uh, the Hawk Talk guys and and yeah just um, give everyone the opportunity to I guess talk about how they're feeling. Darren Levine you were in Sydney yesterday Uh, was it the talk of the town up there? No, it wasn't the talk of the town, and actually didn't even see any well, swans the talk of the town up there. No, there was no, no there was no painted uh, garages or banners anywhere. It was a normal day in Sydney yesterday, but I did see 
some footage of Clarko on the TV at the airport, so I kind of had a sense that something was not quite right. Brad, hello. Good evening, all. Disappointing yeah. wake, upsetting wake. You and I good. work in the same place. It's fair to say that we've provided uh, it's provided plenty of content. Absolutely, and been, I've been lucky enough to have some conversations with a few ex-Hawthorne players who may or may not have been around during the time of these severe allegations. So it's been an interesting week, to say the least. And Simon Morowitz, hello. Yes, interesting um, and a little bit disappointing, and I'm really looking forward to this space. All right, we'll see how we go. We'll try and wrap it up inside now, but it's, again, it's, if it goes on a bit longer, uh, that may be the case. And apologies once again for the gremlins at the very start, but good to see so many of you jump back on. So, Nick, let's start with you. Um, I want to. I'm, I'm keen to know your. You know, yesterday, as you, as you read through the article by Russell Jackson on the ABC website, uh, what were your initial thoughts? And over the course of the, yesterday, even through to today, what's what's been forefront of your of your mind? Well, I've got to say that um, <clears throat> hearing Sam Mitchell sound off on it in the manner that he did, it softened my feelings around this considerably. It obviously still is a problem. It's going to be something that we're all grappling with for some time. Um, but I'm grateful that our club apparently is not in that same space anymore. I have had a little bit of my faith in the club restored by Sam's words. Uh, in addition to that, the the fact that seemingly no player of that time that's been asked about, including Burgoyne, who I'd say is a very, very important figure in all this, uh, no one knows what the hell happened. Um, I know some will leverage that uh, to some degree for their own arguments, but I take a bit of comfort in that. Um, <laughs> that's, I don't know, that's just how I feel about it. I would say initially when I heard the news... Uh, I found it very disturbing, certainly. Um, at what price success? If this indeed did happen, which is still something I'm sure we're all coming to grips with, the idea that someone that we felt that we knew so well had, had come to know so well over about 17 years, that Alistair Clarkson and his deputies might be capable of, of actions like these to achieve success, I, it just, it's not worth it. At that point, it's not worth it. That's not something that that I could endorse. Um, it's not something that I stand for. And yeah, I do. I do wonder how, uh, in due course with the investigation, um, how we might end up feeling about this era of our club. I think there's no question that it was a champion team, but the three-peat era feels a little bit different um, now than what it did two days ago. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point. I think a lot of people are questioning how we feel about it all. I mean, I just know from, uh, you know, I have no interest right now in watching any of those grand finals. Um, as much as 2014 for Hawthorne person was one of the best days of the football, uh, arguably the best day of football any of us will ever have as Hawthorne supporters. Just not a lot of uh, interest in, in watching at the moment. We still want to ask you... Um, you were keen to discuss the reaction of the players, um, Hodge, Lewis Mitchell, but most importantly, Burgoyne. What was your take? I mean, uh, Luke Hodge was uh, clearly stunned when interviewed by uh, Jared Whateley on SEN yesterday. Um, 
Jordan Lewis, I've not seen, so I'm interested. It must have been 360 last night. I'm interested if you could maybe elaborate as to what he said and uh, and Sean Bergon's reactions and uh, comments at a function yesterday as well. Yeah, so I think this follows on from, you know, what, what Nick's just said. And the reality is everything from every angle in this story has to be taken at face value because we know full well that a full-scale investigation hasn't been done and will be done. But, you, we, you know, we've heard from what players have said in the original article and you take that on face value because it's one side of the story. Then you hear what Clarko and Fago have Fagan have said, um, again, take it on face value that they have no idea what this is all about. Um, the players are an interesting aspect to it. So Hodge, you know, when he came and was speaking on SEN and was really the first person straight away thrust into it, it was eight o'clock on, on SEN, you know, an hour and a half after it had broken. Like his voice was quivering as he was speaking and it was an amazing listen that he genuinely had no idea you know he was he was um he, he was conveying that he had gen- genuinely had no idea that that this had happened and Jordan Lewis talking about it was talking very much about not wanting the legacy of the team to be tainted because in terms of what they achieved as a group that from his point of view he'd spoken to x number of teammates from the time throughout the day he made all of his calls and no one had any idea what this was about or, or had any previous understanding of it. Uh, and then the, the more interesting one, and again, Nick, Nick touched on this for me, is the Burgoyne side of things. So he was at the function with Sammy Mitchell, where obviously it's still day one of this coming out and, and they had their say. And the Burgoyne side of things interesting for me because he genuinely says he had no idea about it. Now, at the time, Burgoyne's in the 29 to 33 age range. So he's a leader at the club. He's an Indigenous leader at the club. We know the reputation he's got. Um, We've got no reason to believe that um, if he's saying that he didn't know about it, that he did. Um, You'd like to think that if he did know about it, he, he would have done something about it or at least attempted to do something about it so um it it really for me adds another whole layer of waiting to um if this has happened it's happened within such a limited number of people within the club and and that can that can be a little bit comforting because then it can be drawn down to individuals as opposed to a, a to- toxic culture in terms of the club as a whole. That's probably, you know, bringing it, bringing it back through a player's point of view of, of trying to keep optimistic about the whole side of things. But again, everything at this point is just purely on face value until um, there, there are thorough investigations from every angle of the, you know, every angle of, who, who was involved and what actually took place. Brad, hey, you, uh, uh, go on, sorry. I, I just wanted to jump in. Andrew, a lot of stuff in our mentions, but uh, just overall online in our Portland communities, when people say, surely they knew, surely these players knew, and especially Burgoy, uh, what would be your reaction to that? Because I know mine, I'm, I'm curious to know what your take on that is. 
So, again, all we've got to go by at this point is what was originally given to us through a journalist article. Now, I, I think it's impossible to know or say what did or didn't happen. And there are a whole range of machinations around whether or not as it was reported, that is what happened, or there are different contexts to conversations that took place. And, you know, Eddie Betts is the other one. I don't know um, from a player's point of view whether or not I'm jumping the gun here, Ash, but I'm sure we'll talk about his whole side of things. But, Nick, in terms of what you're saying and, and what there is, you know, what we can believe, what we can't believe, like... What we've seen is this now at Hawthorne, we've seen it at Collingwood, we've seen it at Adelaide, and Eddie Betts on 360 talking about this being not just an individual club, not just an AFL, a society issue. The reality is that until there's sweeping investigations done across the whole competition and every club, you're not going to be able to uncover exactly what's happened when and where through history and similarly until these investigations are done like we're we're not really going to know what actually happened we might Mm. never know what actually happened so you kind of got to take it on face value that um especially for sean uh, above the those other hawthorne players that we're talking about for sean who is so revered in the indigenous community that if any of the players, all of these players that are saying that they had no idea that it was going on, if there is anyone that would, you'd think he'd be, you know, he'd be one of them based on his Um, um, standing in the Indigenous community. Can I just say that I'm I'm actually not shocked at all that the players uh, had not heard of these allegations at all. I think the power dynamic at a club when you've got young Indigenous and First Nations players, some of them may have been, I'm not going to speculate on who these people were, some of them may have been on the list for less than a year, a couple of years. They, there's, a, there's a power dynamic where they wouldn't feel comfortable in speaking out, even to someone as revered as Sean Burgoyne. So it's not surprising at all that the players, the senior players didn't know about this. Yeah, uh, that that would be my point, Darren, as well. That's exactly summed up my feelings on the matter. Um, You you cannot underestimate the role of fear in in something like this. If indeed all this plotting and scheming behind the scenes to a very disturbing extent did happen, um, yeah, there's a lot of coercive control going on and you're leveraging someone wanting to live their dream. and wanting to provide for themselves and, in one case, their family. It's not the kind of thing that you just roll the dice on. And if you're a young player in particular, these are you're, you're just beginning to find allies. Um, it, it doesn't feel, just for me to say, safe space. When, you, when you're new to a club like that, you have limited options. Um, so don't underestimate that someone not wanting to speak out because they just fear the ramifications if they do. Simon, do you think more people knew? Ash, sorry, that was very quiet. I couldn't quite hear that. Sorry, do you, did, do you think more people knew, Simon, than just the three? I'm. 
I find it a little bit difficult to believe that only three people knew, but I also find it very difficult to believe that it's some sort of club-wide policy that they would take people from, you know, different backgrounds or minority backgrounds or um, challenging backgrounds and, and, and control their lives in this way. So I, I don't have an answer, but I do think that one of the key questions, if not the most key question um, to answer from this point on is who knew? Um, and if, if anyone else did, then we need to know now. And I, I am kind of different from you guys. I'm not really comfortable taking on face value. Someone just saying, Oh, I had no idea because of course they're going to say that now. Like, well, they're not going to just come out and say, Oh yeah, I knew <laughs> now that it's come out, I'm happy to tell you. So I'm, I'm basically just not listening to anyone uh, I think... I, until, until we have some sort of actual process whereby we, we have to take what they're saying in that context as gospel right now. If, if someone rocks up to me and goes, yeah, I was there, but I didn't know about it. I'll say, yeah, well, of course you're going to say that. An achievement as monumental as a three-peat lives and dies by this being contained. And the thing that threatens that containment is the involvement of more and more people. Because um, eventually you're going to get someone that has loose lips or very high moral standards who says, um, actually, fuck this. <laughs> We're not doing this. So I'm more of the inclination that it was extremely contained because if you go the other way with it, it risks cultural implosion and you certainly don't get a three-peat if your club is falling apart internally. So by saying that, say, uh, presumption on that, your presumption there is that these people are going about it knowing that it's kind of the wrong thing to do. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, look, this is my presumption. Um, I think based on what we've heard so far, and obviously it's subject to an investigation, there's a very unflattering portrait of Alistair Clarkson in particular where he's driven to an unreasonable extent to succeed. Like these are, these are, there's methods and then there's madness. This just goes beyond the pale. And yeah, that that's the portrait that's being circulated at the moment. That's what we have to go on. Clarko was known for being a micromanager. And it is, you know, Clarko was known, for example, at the start of the week, the media department would sit down and say, these are the media requests we've got for the week. And he would, get out his uh, red pen and say, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, not doing that. Yeah, that's okay. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. So if that's the control Clarkson had, I just say, but that's the media being one aspect of the club. Then I'd... extrapolate that across other areas of the club. That's what, when I read this, I mean, as, as shattering and as surprising as it was, Clarko is known in football and, and Brad coming because you're hearing the same things as I am. He's already doing similar things at, at North Melbourne, even though allegedly he's, not, he's supposed not to start till the 1st of November. He has come into North Melbourne and uh, shaken the place up in a massive way in, in a matter of weeks. Absolutely. And we've already heard some uh, reports. I think Caro went with it on Footy Classified a few weeks ago. And I remember hearing Luke Hodge speak with Jared Waitley a few weeks ago. I think it might have even been before Clarko was announced as coach of North. And if you listen back to the interview, he talks about the power Clarko had at the end of his time at at Hawthorne. And I've spoken to, I won't say who, but I have spoken to recent players at the club who played under Clarko at the end. 
and the way he was at the end of the club, at the end of his time at uh, the club, is exactly what Hodgie spoke about in an interview with Jared Whateley. He is a massive uh, control freak. And we know that North Melbourne, when they bought him in, knew what they were getting in. And we saw at the end of his time at Hawthorne, he was basically the coach, the list manager, the president, the footy manager. He was everything at the club. He was the main man. And unfortunately, power became uh, too much. And I know a lot of players struggled with that at the end of his time at the club, especially having a younger list. But I know that was an issue at the end of his time at the club. So, yeah, very interesting time ahead. Can I just add one thing in, Ash? I just want to touch back on something that I, I don't think we're going to get to tonight. Otherwise, just with what Nick and Daz were talking about around the first-year players and whether or not they would even go to seek counsel based on the pressures that are on them as first-year players or, or second-year players or early in their career um, and the desire to succeed is the actual nature of some of the topics so some of the stuff around um, miscarriage and pregnancy termination and issues with relationships, like they can be some of the darkest, loneliest places to be in. I, I can certainly say that um, with a significant amount of personal experience and often the last thing that you want to be doing in those places is talking to anybody else about it. Uh, so there's that whole aspect to it as well in terms of the believability around others not knowing because unless that's driven from um, the coaching side of things, the players aren't necessarily going to go there. So I just wanted to add that in as well because I think that's significant. Well, let's get to Moran. Good evening, Moran. Moran, Moran? Yeah, uh, thanks, Ash. Um, I... Um... Yeah, I've, I've been a long-time listener of uh, Hawk Talk podcast and uh, I, I saw the, um, the, the, the space on tonight, so I thought I'd jump in. I, I've actually had a chance to talk a little bit with Nick in the background. Um, I, I probably take a different approach to the... Because one of the things I did want to talk about was I probably take a different approach to whether or not, in terms of what the victories... Well, the, what what the the three peat sort of signifies in in respect of what may have been going on behind the scenes, and and I think the only thing I want to say to that is that I, I don't think that the achievements on the field can actually dictate what the level of dysfunction or, or what may or may not have been happening in the background. And the only thing is because uh, I point to the West Coast Eagles in the early two thousand, or the, the sort of the early tens or the early two thousand. You, you look at like they made two grand finals in a row. They they they, they almost went back to back. You know they they were perennial contenders, and and that was a club that was just so dysfunctional off off the field. You you actually wonder how they how they operated, and yet when the players would take the field, there was just there was just nothing that could stop them performing. So I, I probably take a little bit of a different approach to in terms of how indicative the three peat is as to what was going on behind the scenes because. What sport has shown us is that when these professionals are put in a situation where they have a chance to win, they will take that opportunity. And so I, my concern out of all of this is that I actually think there is the possibility that that drive to win is possibly 
in my opinion, more of an indication that they may well have known what was going on and just chose not to do anything in it. Because when you're in it at the time, that opportunity to win doesn't come as we've as we've seen, it doesn't come along very often. And so, and the only other thing I did want is I, I probably take a bit more of an approach as well in terms of what Simon Marowitz said. I, my involvement in sport over the years, I just find it inconceivable within a sporting club that what was happening would have been confined to just the three people that we do know. I just, I, it, is, it is unfathomable to me that anybody in particularly from the playing group, if they'd been in that position of, of leadership, of, you know, because you, you talked about a power dynamic before. Well, yeah, those, and those players in that leadership are part of that power, power dynamic. I, ju- I just think it's inconceivable that something wasn't known. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's... It's a good, just, it it just, is more yeah. inconceivable to me that more people knew and we're only hearing about it now. That's what I'll say on that. Yeah, that's less likely to me. I think you made a great make a great point, and I think what what I'm thinking about is Silvio Rioli's comments, where he said there was a lot of gaslighting happening at the end of his career, and it took him to retire and spend some time away from the game to actually reflect on what happened in his and what was and what he alleges happened in his time at the club. So I think when you're in it, you make a great point. You're focused on team success. You're focused on your performances. And maybe an awakening happens when you're you're away from the club and you're out of that environment. Um, And maybe players will be reflecting over over the next few weeks on on what happened when they were there. That's a good point, Daz. And I was going to say, like, I know we've heard from some of the senior figures, obviously, Sean, Hodgie, uh, Jordan as well. It was really... uh, Raw at the time, it, I guess. I think as time goes on, we've just got to understand that, unfortunately, a lot more is going to come out. There's going to be plays. This, you know, is it alleged to have happened over, you know, quite a long period of time, not just over a day or two. There will be other plays that are going to come out, and I've got no doubt there'll be uh, evidence, whether it's text messages or voice messages. The unfortunate thing with all of this is, is this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is not just going to end in a few weeks' time. This is going to drag on for months and months. So I think we all just need to be ready to brace ourselves. It's very unfortunate, but a lot of bad things are going to come out in the next few months. Um, Brad, given that you flagged at the top of this space that you had been in contact with some past players, I would presume you're saying that as fact then. Saying uh, what is fact? Sorry, that uh, things are going to come out. Yes. Yeah. No, that the 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 players that I spoke to, uh, who were at the club at the time, had the same comments that Luke made, Jordan made, and Sean uh, made. Right. Okay. I just well, they, they, they must be really committed to the to the lie if everyone knew at this point. That's my, um... my opinion is that's just you know. A handful of players you think about how many players go through a club at any period of time there's a lot's going to come out and there's investigations that are going to go on and there will be there will be a lot of skeletons that are going to come out because it's the only way we're going to get to the bottom of what had happened and my belief is and why this is such a sad story and it's been so upsetting for us all is there's no uh winners out of this 
it's a disaster all the way around. It's a nightmare because you've got these three First Nations families who have come out and told their story. And unfortunately for them, there's going to be a lot of people who will call them liars and not believe what they've said. But then on the other hand, a day later, you have Alistair Clarkson, who these allegations are made against, and Chris Fagan, who have both come out and denied what was said. So either these First Nation families are lying, I'm not saying that, but that's what people are going to believe because they'll st- they'll believe what uh, uh, Clarko said and uh, Fagan said, or what they said actually it happened. Are we ever going to know exactly what happened? Probably not, but when you look at it, uh, you know, it overall in three months' time, in six months' time, there are no winners out of all of this. So, unfortunately for us and the football club, this is a historic uh, moment uh, for us. It's not great. I guess the only positive is, is that, you know, we will get better. And I believe Sam is definitely the right person uh, to do that. Hearing him speak, I think he's going to be the right person to lead our club from this. But it's going to take a lot of time. And it's just, yeah, uh, as I said, I just... I'm just really upset, and I'm sure lots of other people are. It's really upsetting and really sad. Shame for Sam is that he has to be the coach of the club, at the, at the coach of the entire club at the moment, not just the coach of the senior team. And I think all Hawthorne people are looking for him to to, for, to lead lead the entire club. It's really not fair for a guy who's a second year coach. Smorganism, good evening. Good evening, um, everybody. Look, obviously horrific allegations. So really. Really hard to stomach the last 24 hours and just try and get your head around exactly what it is. But I think, you know, I think there's a there's a obviously a, a feeling of hopefulness that um, a lot of these things have, have that have been dredged up will are not happening currently. Obviously, um, but also hopefulness that um, that it wasn't widespread in the playing group and that yeah the, the playing group had no real understanding of what was happening um, with some of the welfare um, of some of our Indigenous players. So I think one of the things that I was drawn to this morning was listening to, funnily enough, Tim Watson state that he was not at all surprised to hear that our players had no, um, had come out and had no understanding or recollection of any of these things happening, um, mainly because... He recounted his days at St Kilda saying that when, when things happened with, with young players and with their welfare, there was maybe only one or two people involved in those conversations and it wasn't widespread. It wasn't something that was spoken about with other people. Um, that in itself sort of gave me maybe a little bit more um, clarity on, on what I was hoping, what I was hoping was the case with our players. And I think the, the other thing that sort of makes me feel that maybe my hoping that this is the way it was, um, might be truthful, is the fact that um, listening to CJ, Maury and um, Jai Newcomb on uh, the Harbour Gets um, podcast with Tommy Mitchell this week, they all made mention of the fact that when they first joined the club, the old players didn't talk to them um, and that they were, you know, somewhat segregated in a way and, and so... It, as, as, as horrible as that somewhat sounds, it also sort of lends itself to the fact that we could have had a whole bunch of younger players feeling like they could not talk to the senior players about their issues and even Sean in the role that he, that he was in um, and the, the standing that he had within the group. 
perhaps, you know, perhaps that is the reality that these young players really just listened to the coaches and really just did what they were told because that's how they felt they needed to get by. Um, there is an example, Smorgan. That's a really good point. There is a, a written example about all, about what you're saying. It's the Luke Loudon story. So after 200, the two twelve grand final loss, and the, there was a team meeting, might have been a, on a preseason camp or whatever it was, and Luke Hodge went up and sort of talked about what the values of the team are going to be for the year. And uh, Loudon basically called him out and said, well, you guys talk the talk all the time, but when push comes to shove, you don't live, you, you don't live them out. You're, you guys are all full of hot air and it's all bluster. And Hodge was shocked that Hodge was shocked to receive such feedback from a from a fringe player. I mean, he was on the fringe player. I don't think he played a semi game at all. So I think what that backs up what you said, Morgan, is and what Tim Watson said that it's every there's every chance that I'm sorry what the what the younger guys said on the on that podcast. There's every chance that the senior group are totally the senior, the, the the leadership group of the top 10, 12 players of the club were totally isolated from uh, from what the younger players are going through. And it's probably quite normal, and that's at a successful footy club. So I think it's quite, that's every chance that happened. Uh, Stalking, got a question for us. Yeah, um, I guess all, all the talk about power imbalances, I think is incredibly relevant to this topic. I kind of see, and it's been touched on, the induction of players into the club. And we see it in interviews with first and second year players and they talk about being hosted by different families and all this sort of stuff. Um, and to me, it's, it smacks, smacks of this, um, you know, this elitist private boarding school kind of mentality that has been pervading recruiting circles and, and the AFL for, for quite a long time now. And I, I just, you know, you know Clark is an ex-teacher and uh, Newbold is, uh, not Newbold, um, uh, Bert has just um, just you know taken a hiatus on his position at Caulfield. Um, I can just see that we were running like junior junior players through essentially like a boarding school process and and treating them like they're like they're boarders, you know, and that and that the club could control every aspect um, you know of their lives, and it doesn't. Upsettingly, it doesn't shock me at all that the, um, the 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 three players that have been interviewed have been amongst because I don't think they'd be the only ones, but amongst the most vulnerable to um, to the negative impacts of that. Um, yeah, I, I, I can I can imagine that that any anyone in that circumstance that that wasn't you know from the right family from the right school with the right friends would have been made to feel quite isolated and alone um, in those circumstances. And, yeah, I think it's it's horrifying. And it, I think it's going to play out across every club that has um, these kind of ways of induction players into into their ranks. Um, whether, whether there's over-racism in that or not, um, the impacts are certainly felt. Um, by those members of our team. And, yeah, it's just horrifying. Um, yeah, that's, that's about all I've got at the moment. No, it's, uh, it's well said. Nick, what do you think? 
I, I think Luke Loudon did debut, actually. He played one game in 2014 against West Coast. He hit three goals on debut. He did. And he did. Uh, then, then he was given the arse. So, yeah. Yeah, but, but, yeah, you're right. But this, this came out, this was before Loudon played a game. Cause it, was before, it was 2012 into 2012. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so it's really quite astonishing that he survived to, to make his <laughs> debut. It's actually it's one of the first uh, instances I can remember of the uh, the classic debut video, uh, you know, where you get the whole uh, reactions from the parents kind of thing. Anyway, I'm just bringing a, a little bit of levity to this space because God knows we need it. We, we, uh, we I just want to say on, on Stalking's comment that it was a boarding school environment um, I think if these allegations are actually true, it's more like a cult. And uh, I saw someone else say that on Twitter, um, and he knows because he wrote a book on cults. So uh, I don't think that that sort of behaviour is a Hawthorne-specific thing. I think if you look at Adelaide, and that's why we brought that example up in the piece that we put out today, that pre-season camp was extremely cultish and disturbing, and I'm just really glad... And I hope that footy culture has changed and we're not embracing that sort of behaviour anymore because it's just not acceptable. And it's not acceptable as a supporter of a football club to um, to actually get behind or endorse or be complicit as, uh, as, a, as a paid-up member in those sorts of alleged activities. Well, it comes back to it comes back to what I said, what price success. I don't think any of us in good conscience can get behind that. Well, I think the training camps haven't happened for about three years because of COVID, I imagine, and and now with the soft uh, soft cap cuts. But um, I imagine if they do start swing up again next season, um, that they will take a very different shape and form. And this will these events probably help shape what takes place at these camps as well. Trout, uh, we're letting you into a Hawthorne space. How are you? Trout? Trout, hello? Oh, I, I, see, uh, I see Richmond colours. I know, that's the... Yeah, the I'm here. Yes, yeah, Trout. I'm here. How you going? Yes. Good. Um, look, it's a sad day for, for, the, um, for the game. I don't think you can necessarily blame one club, say Hawthorne. I think that's in, incredible. They've done an ex- external review, and I think congratulate them for that, for getting it done. But we, it seems to be like Adelaide and and Collingwood and other clubs. There's going to be other clubs in it. I just can't get my head over how in 2022 that we, after all the education that we've drilled into clubs and all that sort of stuff, that we into this situation again. But, you know, my hearts go out to the players, but I just want to put a, I just want to get on and speak and say, my heart goes out to the young lady that have, has had that lost the child because the, the player and the and the young lady are going to have 10-year anniversary, 15-year anniversary, because that's what happens when you lose a child. You think, oh, they would have been 10 today. They would have been 21 today. So things like that. So just my heart goes out to them. That's all. No, well said, Trout. Unspeakably, unspeakably sad. This, that, I mean, the whole episode is terrible. That is that, that is unspeakably sad uh, that this took place. And, and that gets back to the point. That is not worth that is not worth the price of success is not worth is not worth that and that's that's where uh, people feel at the moment uh, that the three peat is feeling tarnished. Good to be with you, Darren. I've got a question for you, um, and this goes back to a bit about some of the comments we've received on Hawks Insiders um, 
since our article went up today. Do you think that this is what we know about the report is the report was commissioned by the football club as a result of um, the Cyril Rioli episode. And, and the basic brief was we need to find what, if there's anything else out there that we need to know about. Well, this is what they came back with. But they kept their brief very narrow in speaking to um, the players um, pretty much. Um, and, and and First Nations people, primarily at the football club, all those closely involved with them. Do you think that, given what was being said, that the author, that the people who who commissioned the report or who were writing the report, should have said, "Hang on a sec, there's some fairly serious allegations being levelled here against some very prominent people at the football club. We need to speak to them before finalising the report." Ah, uh, yes, I do actually. And I, I don't understand the rationale behind not, not doing that. Um, it doesn't change my very emotional, visceral reaction to, to reading those comments, but I, I, I do think they should have been considered um, bef- before releasing a report like this, especially in the way it's come out through the media. Yeah, and I'll also ask you, Daz, as a journalist, uh, it's, it's still a journalist these days, you always be a journalist to me, Daz, um, <laughs> Russell Jackson um, now Eddie Maguire uh, he, he got it wrong on Footy Classified last night when he said that Russell had made some sort of inquiry to Fagan through the general inquiries line for the Brisbane Lions which is absolute nonsense and that's selling Russell a complete disservice but Russell gave Chris Fagan 24 hours or so to respond to uh, the allegations in the story um, should he have waited longer should he have not published until he'd actually had a chance for Fagan and Clarkson, I guess, for that matter as well, and even Jason Burke to actually see the allegations and to comment or to decline on the record to to comment? Um, As a journalist, not responding at all to apparently a phone call and an email, you're just setting yourself up for trouble. And I think if he would have said, I need more time, um, I need to talk to a lawyer, I need to talk to my manager or representative. Um, I think that that a Russell, as as a as a, a journalist, should have respected that, but he didn't respond at all, allegedly. Right. Well, yeah, I, I think so. Twenty four hours is enough time to send an email saying, "Thanks, Russell. I need to discuss this, and I need more time. Please don't publish the story." Yep, I know. I think that's a, I think that's about right. Okay, I love games. Hello, you there? Hello, hello. Oh, yes, Dave White. Oh, Dave. Hello, How Dave. you going? Um, my Good. first question is out of all this with the questions you started. How come a journalist had it before the club was able to release it? That's my first question. The club, the club didn't release. Oh, I asked that first. The club didn't release it. The club sent it to the AFL. Thought, hang on, this is pretty serious. Where this is uh, beyond our pay scale, and they they handballed it to the AFL Integrity Unit, which is what the AFL has been encouraging clubs to do. So that's sort of how that came about. Yeah, but how did it get to the journalist? Well, the journalist was uh, it may have been leaked to the journalist. Although I'm not sure. My understanding is that Russell Jackson hasn't actually seen the report. It was just told what was in the report and made inquiries uh, accordingly. The other thing Hawthorne is- has never been more leaky than it is right now under Justin Reeves. <laughs> I mean, come on, it's pretty bad. The other thing I, I wanted to bring up was um, the one with the 
I, I, I know the First Nation one is because the First Nation boys, but I'm I'm sorry, the pregnancy one, I don't care if he's a First Nation, Irishman, Sudanese, that's the one that hits me hard. I'm sorry, if that's happened, I don't care if he's First Nation or that, that's a disgrace. That's the one. The other point I want to make is the one about players being told not to talk to certain people. Families, yes, you should be allowed to talk to your family. But I can imagine there'd be a lot of players told not to talk to their mate or something like that because they're leading them down the wrong path. That happens. That does happen in, in, in football clubs. Football clubs do a lot of research into players. They, they drill down a fair way before drafting them. Um, and if there are players in there, that they, they might draft players. They're, they're seduced by the talent. But if they know they've got some, some shady elements to them, be it family or friends, they are going to pretty quickly try and put some sort of separation between them. But clubs are seduced by the talent and they, they draft and they think we'll, we'll, we'll get the talent in and then we'll sort out the rest later on. That happens. That's not just unique to Hawthorne. That happens at pretty much, uh, at pretty much most footy clubs. Um, Michael, good evening. Yeah, how you going, mate? Very well. Um, obviously, like everyone, is very dis- well, distraught, I guess is the word. But my biggest problem is the disconnect is it at every football club between the senior players and the new players? If a young bloke's come in and has this has happened to them, which is alleged, I think it's a big problem that the senior players know nothing about it. Surely, and a previous talker spoke about Jai Newcomb and uh, CJ and certain players saying that they felt like they were almost alone. To me, that's a big problem where the senior players aren't helping out the younger players, if that makes sense. That's a good point, Michael. Um, and I've heard a lot of people comment on how it's a positive, you know, or, you know, how could it happen that Sean didn't know and Luke didn't know and Jordan, I didn't know. But on the other hand, like uh, you're saying, that's a bigger problem. The fact that if what is alleged happened and they didn't know, that makes it 10 times worse. So it's a good point. And we've got proof now with these, you know, like what you said with CJ and Jai and Tom as well, to say that when they started at the club, uh, they didn't have a strong uh, relationship with the senior players. That's a terrible thing. I'll tell you what has changed, though. And I've actually, you know, for uh, I've spent a lot of time talking for like, in the last few weeks to people from the from Geelong and from Sydney ahead of uh, the grand final, the AFL Record Premiers magazine, which will come out on Sunday for the winning teams. I've written a lengthy feature about both clubs. Um, talking to people at the Swans, in particular, the hubs made a big difference. The barriers between senior players and younger players at footy club have been broken down and probably uh, will never go back up again because the hubs in 2020 forced Hi guys. 42 players um, the allegations are just allegations so far. So it's a bit hard to know what's happening. Um, you would take everyone at face value. But the fact that all those players that were there have no clue about anything involved in the allegations, um, yeah, it's a bit sus. Yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, we, we're not going to know. We, we're not going to know until this uh, AFL-appointed um, 
uh, investigative group uh, starts drilling down and speaking to all sorts of people, we, we, it's only then I think we'll find out exactly exactly who knew. So as I was put off saying before, it was um, is that the hubs have changed footy clubs uh, irrevocably. I think the barriers between the senior and the younger players aren't there anymore uh, for one and sometimes two seasons. They were living in each other's pockets. I know from talking to the Swans guys that they got to know each other incredibly well and, and there's a belief at the Swans that their, their journey to the grand final was fast-tracked by the time they spent in the hubs in certainly in 2020 when they were there without their families. So I, I don't think footy clubs will ever go back to the days of the senior blokes not talking to the younger blokes. I, I just think the dynamics of all clubs have, have changed now and for the better. And as we know with this event, this is these are events that took place in the middle of the teens, uh, which really, in some ways, in the way footy clubs are run now, is, is in some ways is, uh, is well not ancient history, but it's certainly history because footy clubs post COVID have been set up very very differently. Um, we've had a few people sort of reach out and want to know um, what some of the flow on effects have been for the footy club. How is it going to affect uh, Hawthorne's? image of the market. Well, it's certainly been battered around. Um, just the bit of news I've got is my understanding is that Sam Mitchell reached out yesterday as this was unfolding to Carl Amon and to Lloyd Meek. Uh, now, Amon has indicated he wants to come to Hawthorne uh, as an unrestricted free agent, and that will probably happen uh, probably even this time next week when free agency starts. He is... Uh, nothing has changed in his eyes uh, he reassured Sam Mitchell that now he's still committed to Hawthorne, which is, you know, what which is pleasing because his mother, as we know, is the uh, Indigenous uh, Affairs Officer at St Kilda, so she's a First Nations professional, I guess, as much as anything else. And uh, he, he'd be taking some counsel, you would imagine, from his his mother. But it sort of strengthens the claim that Hawthorne, at least in 2022, is a culturally safe football club. Um, so that is the that is a bit of news. I guess in terms of other player targets, we don't really know what the football club is. I'm sure that managers will be asking very, very hard questions now of Hawthorne, as they well should. And I'm sure when it comes around to the draft process that, well, so players and managers will be asking that hard questions and it's going to be a difficult time, I think, for for Sam Mitchell and Mark McKenzie and um, Rob McCartney over the next couple of weeks as the deals get finalised. They're going to be asked a lot of uncomfortable questions and they're going to have to have all their uh, ducks in place. The draft will be an interesting one as well. I'm sure the very first question that parents will be asking um, the Hawthorne people at pre-draft interviews is, what sort of football club will my, my son be walking into? And again, this is something that Hawthorne's going to have to deal with. Essendon dealt with it. Adelaide would have dealt with it. Collingwood would have dealt with it for sure. They, to name three clubs that have had issues in the past, and now it's Hawthorne's turn. And Ash, I think, um, I think it's going to be really interesting and critical in terms of that separation in terms of some of the cultural issues potentially previously to any, especially from an Indigenous point of view, the culture at the club at the moment. And, you know, even just looking at, so if, if Carl Amon's still invested in coming back, coming to the club, that's a good start. Um, the fact that Chad, who's had opportunities to leave, um, has wanted to stay at the club. Um, the notion of, you know, Sean Burgoyne sticking with us when he could have gone and played at the Gold Coast and wanting to finish out his career at Hawthorne. You know, that, that there are enough pieces of evidence together with what 
you know, Sam has said and, and has been committed to doing to suggest that the culture at the moment is sound. Um, and, and he said himself that, you know, he wants to be the best in this space and continue to, to make that evolve. So um, I, I think there's going to need to be that separation so that Sam and his team can continue to move forward in terms of coaching the club as opposed to, as you said, being the coach of the entire club, if that makes sense. Good evening, Paul. you got a question for us. Uh, yes, good evening, guys. Um, my question is, is it a little bit of arrogance that now that all people involved in this um, event have now all left the club and they're only now coming clean to what happened in the past and surely the AFL has to now go around to every club and get them to undertake something of similar uh, proportions to obviously clear it from the AFL completely and also um, start to be more um, transparent in, among society as well, I guess. Yeah, good point. Well, it's been suggested some sort of amnesty almost for 12 months where every club can uh, agree to undergo similar sort of uh, reporting and processes that Hawthorne have and then get a clean bill of health. And that's certainly Eddie Betts's call on AFL 360 last night. I didn't see, but as I understand it, Eddie Betts uh, came out and said that uh, all clubs should go through the process. Maybe that is a, a next uh, a next step for the AFL. Certainly, I mean, with regards to your first point, I'm not sure arrogance is the right word, but certainly, and going back to what Andrew said before, there would be a level of um, there'd be a level of uh, comfort, I suppose, for Hawthorne that the three people who've been named at this stage are no longer at the club, so um, they can again proceed forward, saying, "Well." The, the people who this the allegations about these three people they're no longer part of the Hawthorne Football Club, so we, we're trying to move forward. Um, Michael, um, yeah, look, just a general comment. It's not a good thing, but I think the way the club has handled it has been good. They it was a a serious issue, and they've immediately handed to the AFL. There's been no cover up or anything like that, and I think that's a good sign of the current state of the situation. The other comment I'll make is um, I think there may also be a, a broader issue. Um, you know, my, my daughter um, knows, uh, has friends who are in, have been in relationship with an AFL footballer and the level of information they're um, supposed to disclose to the club about the state of that relationship is well beyond what is is reasonable. Um, so I think that uh, control and coercive control doesn't just apply to in, uh, Indigenous players. I think there's a, a big issue there that, yeah, it will be interesting to see how that falls out. Yeah, good points, Michael. Who's to say that uh, some, some of the, uh, what's the right word, controls... That the that were alleged to have taken place, controlling actions that were alleged to have taken place weren't applied to other players on the list as well, just from from different backgrounds. Who's to know? It's just that uh, it certainly was highlighted that it was three First Nations players, and that's certainly what helps to uh, create uh, to create the headlines. Nick, what, what what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I, I was just, I've been sitting on a question for a while. Um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. Uh, regarding Clarko, we're presuming that we're, we're, there's no motive to lie. The interviewees, there's no motive to lie that I can that I can tell. So we're going to say that, that is 100% spot on. Uh, where are we at with Clarko? Pro-Clarko, sitting on the fence, anti-Clarko, we're done with him. Uh, you can take your time, go one by one. I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Gee, that's the million-dollar question. Well, it is, it is the question. It is the question that we're all facing that we're trying to come to terms with. Look, I think in terms of the club and Clarko, I think there are still some raw... There's still some raw feelings, I think, Clarko towards the club. I know he's really kept his distance from, from the football club in the official sense. I guess in a way, I mean, next year is... Uh, and this, this may sound trite, but the first of the reunions is next year, 10 years. Mm. Um, how how is the club going to mark the ten year reunion? I mean, usually it's a, usually a it's a fundraiser that put on some event, and b there's at least one game they'll, they'll schedule a fixture against someone next year at the MCG and arrange that to be the premiership reunion. Mm-hmm. We'll do a lap on the ground and we'll all give them a standing ovation. What happens? That's the that's this is now very this is now a very real question. As trite as it sounds, this comes into play. The fixture requests going to the AFL now. So we'll mm. grapple with the legacy. We've got three years of reunions, three 10-year reunions the next three years, right slap bang when, when these events were alleged to have happened. So, and you know, would Clark have been coming to those events in any case, given that he's you know, feeling a bit aggrieved about the circumstance with which he left the club? So that's a very roundabout way to saying that I don't have, a, I haven't yet formulated my opinion <laughs> on Clark. Yeah, and, and you know I was going to press you on it, Ash. Just like uh, I'd press everyone on this call. Yes, no, I know. Well, I'm interested in Brad's opinion on this. Brad's, Brad's never not had an opinion on anything. So, Brad, Clarko. Ash, I'm with you. It's a, re- <laughs> it's a really hard one. With Clarko, he deserves to be heard. He deserves to tell his story. And we're going to hear it, hopefully, in the coming months. It's not going to happen soon. This is, As I said, this is going to play out for a long time. I think he's not going to speak for a while. Um, but you know my thoughts on Clarko at the end of the club, even before all of this you know, I came out. I've mentioned it numerous times. I felt he should have left probably three years, two or three years before he did. And I said uh, today, when you think about where he's left our club now and probably his last five years at the club, has been an absolute disaster. The list he left our club in, and obviously now what's happened, as I said earlier, poor Sammy Mitchell has been dealt an absolute poo sandwich because on field it's unfortunately, yes, things it have improved. But next year, I know you guys are going to uh, disagree with me. I believe we'll be bottom four. Ash believes we'll be playing a good chance to, be, to play finals in 2024. I believe the earliest will be 2025, and I think our list is still in a lot of trouble. I think there's a lot of holes, and now it's the off-field stuff as well, where he's left our club. And as uh, uh, Ash said, since he's left, he's put a lot of distance between himself and the club. I know the way he left was not good, but (laughs) the last few years, and as I've said, Ash, numerous times to you and uh, we've spoken about, the three-peat covered a lot of cracks. And unfortunately, now those cracks are all going to start to show. 
we are in for a world of pain. We've been in pain on field the last few years. It's going to be next year and probably the year after, in my opinion. The list still needs a lot of cleaning out. And now with the off-field stuff as well, we're in for a rough couple of years, unfortunately. But as I said earlier, Sam is definitely the right man to lead us from what we're going through now. But unfortunately, it's going to be a slow and painful process. And a lot of us, me included, are impatient. But I think yeah, we, I, I, we, we had a Richmond patient. speaker on before. And um, I, I just can't help but imagine what if like a Saints fan was in, in on this call and heard the three peak covered the cracks. Exactly right. <laughs> what a ridiculous exactly right. privilege. Why, correct. And that's why... I need to learn, and I think a lot of us do as well, patience is the key because we've been so lucky with so much uh, success, even if you go all the way back to, you know, to 2008. And then obviously uh, the three-pit, you know, we had the prelim in 2011. Unfortunately, we lost to the Swans in 2012, but we've been there. You know, we had all that success. It's going to hurt because it's going to be painful for the next couple of years. But I just think patience is uh, the key and we've got the right people in place. It starts uh, off-field as well. And hopefully we've got the right people at the top of the club. Hearing the vice president speak, who's going to eventually become the president, didn't, you know, sit too well uh, with me. Is he the right man? Who knows? We'll see. Um, but I guess at anyone post, Jeff's probably going to be a positive. But um, Sam, at least, you know, the face of the club and the senior coach is definitely the right person but as i said it's going to be years unfortunately so we've just got to stick stick tough friendly good evening hello hello like uh probably a lot of people in here my thoughts on clarko at the moment are pretty reserved as far as his conduct you know it's we're not even at the crawling phase of the investigation so sort of that one aside but i'm more wanted to talk about i think uh a chain reaction that's going to happen uh, once this investigation's done, it, even before this uh, investigation's done, with the other clubs in the AFL, I think actually has a lot of upside, um, you know, trying to be optimistic that uh, I think the AFL in general, you know, in years to come, it may take a long time, but we're going to clean out um, a lot of this rubbish behaviour Um and we're going to be the better for it. So in some ways, yes, this is uh, tragic. Um, someone said distraught uh, earlier, which is a good word, but I think uh, this almost had to happen. Um, unfortunately, it happened at the Hawthorne Football Club, but uh, it is going to have a lot of upside um, in the years to come um, with, with, the, with the other clubs having internal reviews in their own clubs and investigations coming out of that. Yeah, thanks for that, Brendan. What do you think about it, Maura? I think um, a couple of times people have mentioned that, you know, they're a bit um, upset or, or disappointed or feel let down. And I think I just want to echo um, the thoughts of Tony Armstrong, um, who mentioned this on ABC, and I think someone else mentioned it earlier today as well. But I think it's worth saying... Like, I'm not a victim here. Um, I'm a little bit let down by a football club that I would hope to have done better. Um, but if if I'm a, a, an Aboriginal Australian reading that story, even if I don't follow footy, it would just be really difficult to comprehend that that still happens. 
I mean, that's the, the details that are outlined in that story sound like they're coming out of a textbook, of a history book from like, if you read that in a history book that that happened in 1880, you'd say, man, that's, that's wild. I'm glad we don't do anything that cruel anymore. And to, I mean, that, that's, that's never going to happen to me. But the fact that it's still happening to people of, of minority backgrounds, allegedly, it's just, uh, uh, imagine, uh, imagine them having to explain this story to their kids. Like, this is the world that you're growing up in. That is, that is the, the real tragedy here. Absolutely, um, yeah. Just onto your point, Simon, it's an excellent point because for those who heard and watched uh, Eddie Betts on 360 uh, last night, a harrowing story, really sad, really upsetting. Uh, for those that haven't seen it, have a look on Twitter, see if you can find the video clip. But to Simon's point, he told a story how he was at a local swimming pool with his child and a lifeguard asked him to leave because a white Australian family said that he was making them feel uncomfortable. He was asked, he was holding one of his twins and he was asked to leave a local swimming pool by a lifeguard by a uh, lifeguard because someone said they were, he was making them feel uncomfortable. This is Eddie Betts, a legend of the AFL, who was with yeah, his yeah. child. So you can only imagine. And we read these stories, and as Simon said, you'd, look, you'd think that this stuff was happening in the 17 and the 1800s. This is happening today still. Yeah, but, but that's it. Like, I think white people think... <laughs> It's not happening anymore. It's 2022. No way. Surely not. I'm pretty sure Indigenous people are like, um, yeah, this is our lives. That's all we hear these days is like, um, you're going to get with the program. This is what we experience always. And this is an extension of that, sadly. Yeah, I'm getting 100% drag um, kicking and screaming to that understanding. And Mm. the, the thing then, so the extension of that, say they have to explain that to their kids. This is happening. The kid looks up and he goes, why did they do that? Surely, why? They must have had a good reason. And, I mean, the reason here is what? To give the player a good chance of winning some football games for their club? Like, is that really the reason why we're doing this? It's just mind-boggling. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. This is the thing. It's We're really at the start of all this, which is really annoying because I'm dying to know how this plays out and I'm sad to know how this might play out. Because um, like yeah. I said, I, I don't believe that the people interviewed are lying. Um, so therefore, what happens from here? Either it's absolutely spot on or it's a version of it that still doesn't make our club or, or the players involved. When I say players, I mean the main players like Clark O'Al. Um, it doesn't make them look good anyway. It's like, what, what could let them off the hook at this point? Uh, it was a giant misunderstanding. I just doubt it. I think we're in for a bit of a world of hurt as far as our previous regard for these senior figures. It's going to be tough. That's yeah, what I said before. Nothing and nothing is. To be complete crap and tomorrow it just goes, oh, yeah, sorry, we dragged your name through the mud like that, but actually it never happened. But I think that's pretty unlikely. Um, and to Brad's point from earlier, these sorts of things often need a catalyst 
um, you know, you hear about, say, like a celebrity, one person comes out and says this person assaulted me and then all of a sudden a couple of people more feel uh, empowered to do the same and then mm. lo and behold, you've got 15 people who who are coming out. And I think Brad is more likely to be right um, that this is definitely the bottleneck opening um, more than the opposite. I think it's much more likely that there's quite a few, if not in similar circumstances, then similarly horrendous circumstances Um that are waiting to come out. Be prepared to have your regard for Clarko challenged. I think, as far as I can tell, a lot of people have gone way too early on this, but it doesn't look good. <laughs> like We'll see what happens with this investigation, but, um, yeah, there might, there might be a few more people filling that bandwagon of anti-Clarko sentiment because I just don't see how this gets better before it gets worse. Nick, I... The, I, no, I think um, at the bronze statue factory is probably on hold. <laughs> Nick, I um, I, I actually think I know you, I'm probably not very popular with you tonight. Mm. I actually think it goes a step further than Clarko in terms of where people sit in how they in the esteem that they might hold things, and I, I, I'm sort of take a, a bit. Um, I was. Impressed isn't the right word, but it's the only word I can think of with the Hawk in, or the Hawk Inside Hawks Insiders article on the topic. I think a lot of people and a lot of fans in particular associated with Hawthorne need to be realistic and they need to be a new, mature enough to sort of not have a reckoning, but accept the fact that you can you can throw stones and and hurl arrows at at um, at, uh, at Clark over it, but. This isn't an isolated incident. It, 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 and, and I only mention this because it's something that, that, that you sort of said before when you're like, oh, racism isn't a big deal today. And yet there are too many things that have happened can, with the horse. Can I just club. say that I did not say that? <laughs> if you're going to no, pull no, that no, as no. a quote, I want it on the record that I did not say racism is not a big no, deal. No, 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 no. No, I know you didn't say that. No, I know you didn't say that. But you, you, as you said, it's so easy for white people to sort of like, oh, yeah, that, that's that's a thing that used to happen. No, no. I, yes, yeah. And I think when it comes to the Hawthorne Club, there have probably unfortunately been too many coincidental things that have happened for far too long a thing where this is still an issue for the club that, they, that the club as a whole needs to deal with and they can't run away from it anymore. And to a certain extent, maybe the success or maybe the fact that yeah, but we, we've we've embraced Indigenous players. You know, Silk played his 400th, the first Indigenous player to 400. In a lot of ways, maybe those were papering over a lot of cracks that the club actually has still struck is still struggling with, in terms of um, um, its its recognition and its understanding of Indigenous culture. Yeah, well, you're not going to be unpopular with me, mate, because I agree. I want to get to Patrick. Patrick, good evening. I'm just wondering, do you reckon all this could affect sponsorships at the club? And also, if it has to go to court, do you think it could, like, delay Dingley even further? Uh, good questions, Patrick. I think that um, sponsorship, well, the sponsors all would have been on the phone to the club uh, through yesterday and today. Having said that, if the club was half decent, they would have been uh, on the front foot with the sponsors and explaining the situation and assuring them where they're at at the moment. In terms of Dingley, uh, not really sure. I think the money, enough money has been raised for Dingley to get it started. But again, if Hawthorne's in a position where it needs to go out into the market to get more um, money for a project, it might be uh, that those potentially putting their hands in the pocket 
we'll be asking harder questions. But we did point out at Hawks Insiders, Andrew wrote the good piece recently, that commercially the Hawks have ticked so many boxes uh, at the moment that uh, I imagine most of these uh, deals will be okay. But there's uh, there's clauses to all contracts and there's, there's uh, behavioural clauses. And we have seen sponsors withdraw their name from uh, partnerships uh, in the past because they don't think it's the right thing for their for their brand image. So we, we wait to see. Hopefully, all will be okay in that department. Good to hear from you, as always. Ash, yes. Ash, you'd imagine that similarly to the discussion before about, you know, you mentioned that Sammy's spoken to Carl Amon and, and spoken to um, Meek and in terms of reassuring them around about the culture of the place at the moment, that exactly the same thing will be happening with the sponsors. And um, as long as the team uh, have the ability to assure them that despite everything that's going on based on um, issues of the past, they'll be doing everything that they can to reassure, reassure them that culturally the issues don't exist and um, that they want, you know, them to remain as, as sponsors and support the club as, as they were a week ago. All right, we're going to wrap this up, I think, another 10 or so. I think we'll try and finish this by, it's quarter 10. I think we'll try and get this wrapped up by 10 o'clock. Smorganism, you got another point for us? Yeah, I think I just wanted to sort of round back to what I was saying earlier around um, Maury and CJ, um, particularly talking on the the Hub or Gets podcast with Mitchell. Um, Because I I don't think they necessarily were saying, I heard someone else say before that they felt lonely. I don't think that was necessarily that case. I think they just felt that there was a, a, a big disconnection between the youngsters on the list and the senior players, which makes me, which was obviously what I was trying to get at with um, thinking that hopefully um, when these when these allegations um, were supposedly happening at the club that, you know, um, players didn't actually or weren't aware of what was going on. Um, but I think the other thing is too that I just wanted to point out was that obviously in the last couple of years that has, that has changed completely. We've flattened the leadership group. We've got a lot of young leaders now. And I know that Morrison, Moore and Lewis have probably come to the fore over the last 18 months to two years. Um, and the dynamic in the group, as you said, Ash, earlier um, regarding the hub has completely changed. And the guys actually touched on that in the podcast about around what happened in the hubs um, and how they feel about the club. Um, and that was just something I, I sort of wanted to circle back to when hearing other people speak. Um, one of the other things that someone said was like, there was, you know, the, the disconnection between players um, and being able to go and talk to the senior players about some of their issues or their concerns or the things that are happening in their life and, and how that was, that was concerned if, if our players did not, if our senior players did not have that or weren't having those conversations. And I, I, I'm kind of opposed to that because I, I feel this is why we have psychologists and doctors and Brady Gray in these roles because that's where they need to step in because I, I don't feel that it's a senior player's place to be governing the welfare or advising. And I think that's probably where we got in this, this where we got into this issue in the, in the first place my main query on all of this is why the hell were Clarkson or Fagson even involved in talking to players around their relationships and who they could and couldn't talk to um, and, you know, obviously planned parenting. So that to me is like, well, you know, we should have the right resources and the structures in place to actually support players without them needing to go and talk to someone who's played 250 games because they feel like, oh, this person could be... Yeah, you know, equipped to help me because they might not as well. Um, 
The, the other point um, that I wanted to make, just, just try and put yourself in, in the boots of these young players. And I was thinking about this yesterday, which, you know, it was just really hard to consider. Um, growing up in a country town with a lot of Aboriginal friends, um, playing football with these guys, you know, playing AFL football is just such a, a huge opportunity to, to change your life. And, and I just can't help but think about the fact that you're talking about eight or nine-year-old kids that finally get their chance. They think they're going to have a future. They think they're going to have money. They think they're going to have support. And all of a sudden, allegedly, someone's telling them, you can't talk to your family anymore. You could, you're to break up with your girlfriend. Um, and all these things that would all, all, all of a sudden, we just like a massive punch in the face. Um, so, you know, you think about it, if, 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 if that is exactly what happened, these young kids are sitting there thinking, I've got to make all these life changes or, or, I'm, or I'm back to the country. I, I've got no future if I don't do these things. So there's a lot of pressure involved there. And I think that's probably something that people need to consider in that when they're trying to come to grips with, is this right? Is it wrong? Is it true? Um, you know, are they making it up? Um, one, one of the things that really kind of upsets me is, is, is the fact that there's, there's like this, this, this um, I guess, the statements being made at the moment, and I've seen it a lot online with people saying, you know, they're just looking for money. Um, and I just, I find that just really horrendous thinking because I just think about the fact that these young kids, all they really wanted was a future in the AFL. And if this is what they've been presented with and they felt that this was the only way that they could survive in the, in the system or that they could get ahead, then that's just horrific. Um, and, and I guess probably the other thing that this leads to is that my thoughts on Clarkson, and I know Nick asked this question and maybe everyone else is going to tiptoe around it, but my thoughts on Clarkson are that these allegations don't really seem out of character from, from everything that I've ever read about him. In, and, and I'm not saying that he's a horrible person or anything like that, um, but certainly there's been different instances where his overbearing nature or, or his control um, certainly have come to the floor or to the floor, sorry. And, and these sorts of, these, this involvement in people's lives sort of rings true. I mean, one of the weirdest ones is the fact that he decided to buy a dog for Grant Birchall, a pup Grant Birchall didn't really ask for and just gave him a pup like that. To me, he sort of speaks of something a little bit odd that he wants to have control of someone's life and say, this is the way you are going to live. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say that I've completely washed my hands of him, but there's certainly a lot of a lot of um, elements to these allegations that sort of ring true in some sense, or make sort of they make sense of some of the past stories or things that have come out. Um, so yeah, I just that's sort of where I'm sitting at the moment, and I'm sure I'm going to have many many thoughts over the next couple of months. Yeah, that's an excellent comment. Uh, can anyone else hear anything that's going on here? Sorry. That there we go. Bit. Sorry, the Las Vegas story for Clarko uh, is uh, with Lance Franklin. Uh, he, he, wanted to, he was impatient about Buddy, uh, whether he's going to re-sign the contract. As Buddy's overseas in Vegas. Uh, we'll hear from him when he gets back. And he said, oh, maybe I'll go there. And said, no, don't go. Whatever you do, don't go there. Leave him alone. He'll work it out for himself. We'll wait till he gets back. We'll have the conversation. Clarker couldn't help himself. Jumped on a plane, went to Vegas. 
sort of surprised frankly on his holiday and that is uh, reportedly the last straw that was the, that was a tipping point for for Franklin to uh, decide that he needed to leave the club and get a fresh start elsewhere. So the, yeah, that, that's again that's the micromanagement um, side of Clarko that people have heard about. Whether I mean the, the allegations take all that to a, a serious extreme, um, but we uh, you know he, it, it, the, the great thing for Clarko is he will get the opportunity to to talk through uh, all of this, and uh, we, we welcome everyone will welcome that. Um, Stalking, we'll give you the last question of the night. Oh, I appreciate that, Ash. Um, I guess I just wanted to make a quick point. Um, there's been a lot of talk about natural justice and, and hearing the sides of Clarko and Fagan and all that sort of stuff. You only have to listen or watch um, Eddie Betts on 360 to just... Or even just read read what was written um, you know, on the ABC there. Like... If you if you can't make an opinion on that that Clarko and Fagan should not be involved in in dealing with young men in football again, um, I don't know what to tell you. Um, the extension of that is I put the boots into Essendon so hard with the with the drugs thing, and the constant thing is oh no the truth will come out you know they'll be vindicated. Like I'm so happy that almost. Every single Hawthorne supporter I've spoken to about this issue is nut. Clarko, like, can see that um, these stories aren't made up. <laughs> like, there's no incentive to make this stuff up. Like, it happens. We need to deal with it. Um, and I'm so glad that so many people, like, in this community as well, um, can, like, are seeing that and, and are taking it and taking these these players um, and ex-players on their word and believing them, and it's really encouraging. So, yeah, that, that's yeah, that's it. Uh, I, I know um, I know of a couple of people that um, disagree actually with all of that. Um, Alistair Clarkson and, and Fagan would probably have a bit to say about that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I get where you're coming from, but. I, I'm so curious to hear how they come back at this. I don't know how the hell they do, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying not to be as definitive as as what you've just described. It really it, it takes an effort not to be. Um, but yeah, I, I wait to see how this plays out. Silence, Sophia. We get you on. Uh, Hi there. Um... I heard from a really good source that this incident isn't um, only with Hawthorne. Other clubs have also um, committed this heinous act and it's not just uh, coloured folk. Well, that there would be... Uh, there will be plenty of people in football who say that uh, Hawthorne is unfortunate enough to have been uh, uh, exposed doing this when it's actually quite a common practice um, in the industry amongst footy clubs. That will come out. That's why there's been talk about an amnesty as well. So, and, and letting all other clubs come out and say that as well. 
Good to hear from you. Uh, the truth will out hopefully at some stage. So, uh, Ash, what you do, what you're saying, if I could just jump in, is that Hawthorne is actually really well positioned to be revolutionising the game as we know it <laughs> once again. So Hawthorne really um, trailblazes uh, again in, in just yeah, the most spectacularly sure. messed up way, but trailblazers nevertheless. I'm not so sure, but the AFL might decide. This, okay, once and for all, this might be the thing. So this might be something that moves the needle in, in the space. Who really knows? But uh, I think Hawthorne would rather not be the leader in this space at the moment. Nick would rather just be going about the business of football for the moment, which is the trade and the draft. But uh, here we are. Um, we're going to wrap it up there. We've been going for a very long time. Um, we actually have a grand final to look forward to on the weekend between Geelong and Sydney, and we didn't get around to the $8 question, which we'll be asking this week is, who does Hawthorne, who do Hawthorne supporters least want to win on Saturday, but also is a bit trite, as I said at the start of the uh, spaces, to be going down that path. So we're going to leave it there. Um, thank you to everybody who took part uh, and to all those who listened. This will be available as a podcast uh, through Hawks Insiders um, before too long. And Nick, I don't know how these things work. We'll try and send you the file and you can put up in your, uh, put it up in your podcast feed as well. It was so great to have you as the co-host this evening. Um, and uh, when can people next? When's your next? Uh, when's your next spot uh, going up? Oh, that is a terrific question. At the moment, we're, we're kind <laughs> of taking a break, um, but we are releasing a number of bonus episodes for our um, subscribers. Uh, we, we have a three-part series in which we grade all of the players on Hawthorne's list. Um, so part one is available right now, uh, patreon.com slash hawktalkpod. Uh, so as I said, subscriber-exclusive content. As for our regular stuff that goes up on Apple and Spotify and all good podcast apps, uh, geez, it's, it's hard to know. I, I, I suspect we'll be back with free agency in the trade period. So, yeah, on a bit of a break, but we're never too far away. We're constantly on social media. So, you know, Twitter, Facebook, well, we'll, Instagram. Yep. We'll keep looking out. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I think it was really worthwhile making this a, a, a joint uh, a joint effort. I think we needed uh, as, as many wise heads in the space as possible. So thanks, Nick. It was good to have you on Absolutely. Board. Thanks for having me. And to our, our Hawks Insiders crew, we are back. Well, our, we'll be back next Thursday with hopefully we'll be slightly back to normal programming as we look ahead to, it'll be the eve of free agency, uh, which starts the next day and the, and the trade periods will be a fair bit together. It's news out of Box Hill that we haven't really gone through with Danny yet that we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to as well. And uh, we hope to know a bit more about maybe about coaches and that sort of thing at the Hawks. And I'm sure there'll be developments on this story as well that we'll need to go through. We are planning to do spaces most nights of the trade period, as we did last year. Uh, probably not for an hour or so every time, but just uh, to debrief and go through the news of the day, most of which, a lot of which, will, uh, will involve the hawk. So I won't, uh, I'll dispense with getting everyone to say goodnight and goodbye, other than to thank everybody for taking part. It's been difficult 48 hours to be a Hawthorne person, but I think with uh, getting together and having a chat about it. Uh, hopefully we'll uh, soothe some people and make them feel a bit better. Stick by the club. We're supporters. They have given us a lot of pleasure. The club will get through this. Uh, what we don't want is people saying they don't want to be members anymore and I'm going to go back for Essendon or Collingwood or Carlton or the Giants. So stick with the club. The right people are in charge for right now and they will work their way through it. So thanks everyone for joining the Spaces. Must wish a happy new year, happy Jewish new year to those that do. That's on Sunday night. Uh, so if uh, that's uh, the way you go, then we hope it's a, 
a good, sweet and joyous new year uh, and well over the fast that will follow after that. So thanks, everyone. This will be Bubbles the Podcast. As we said, we will have some more comments, uh, more content going through on Hawks Insiders over the next few days. Enjoy the grand final. It really will be a good one too. The two most important teams ever playing the grand final. Buddy might get his third flag. Isaac Smith might get his fourth and we'd be happy for both of them. Spent some time with Isaac Smith the last few days and he is, and Darren hates it when I say this, but he is actually a seriously good guy and uh, you'd be only happy for him to win another premiership. Um, and even the great big bud could be the man to destroy Geelong's dreams, which wouldn't make too many people around here all that disappoint us. That, there you go. That's two reasons to watch. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week on Hawks Insiders. Have a great rest of the long weekend and a happy grand final day. Thanks and good night.